Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we chat with West Coast fishing legend, Sean Bailey. We asked Sean about the early days of big bait fishing, five pound sunfish, and the craziness of Lake Havasu during spring break. We also do a little Q&A before the interview, so uh, we appreciate the great questions, keep them coming, and enjoy the show. That's what happens with our offspring. Uh, dude. No doubt. We actually had some wildness yesterday also. It's Parker's birthday. Well, tomorrow's Parker's birthday, but we celebrated it yesterday. So Did you see uh, two? Yeah, two. Right on. It's right. like we need to be recording. We're just rapping. We are. We already are, actually. Oh, we are. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Two's like the perfect age, dude. It's literally probably the best birthday. It's the first birthday where they realize it's actually their birthday. Yeah. Like the first birthday, everyone gets all hyped up. You do you have this big party. And like the kid doesn't even could not care less. Just like, another day. Yeah, it's not disappointing, but it's like, man, just wish you were like enjoying this. But yeah, two, like they're really into it. They don't have the attitude yet. By the time they hit three, you know, the attitude is it, it's still amazing, but you just don't know who you're gonna get that day. Yeah. At least that's how it's been <laughs> with our three year old. My family has no idea what they're gonna get when it's my birthday either. So <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you're just a wild card, man. That's yeah, just what you, you are. You never know. Never know. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so hey, this is a pretty welcome to the listeners, and this is a uh, a big milestone for us. If you can tell, Rob actually um, sounds loud and clear in his mic, and he is sitting in his new house with a high quality microphone um, in front of an awesome Skype backdrop. Yeah, Josh, he's not at his house, new house. He's in it looks like maybe a small French bistro. You know, roadside cafe, you got a nice sunset going down behind you there. How did you travel across the country so fast, Rob? I just saw you at my house the other day, dude. You're the one that put the backdrop in there. And it's <laughs> so I have no, like, <laughs> I, I'm so tech challenged that Nick had to set up my computer. My son and his girlfriend had to, like, set it all up once we got to the house here with the Wi-Fi. And so, yeah, we're rocking now. So, Dude, Rob, your voice sounds like warm maple syrup over, like, a stack of flapjacks. It's just as smooth <laughs> and, like, deep. Man, you got it going on. I'm, I've, I've got an insecure complex about how good you sound with a mic. Nice. That's hilarious, Nick. That's, that's exactly right. What a way to put it, too, man. The he's, listeners are in for a treat now, He's man. all buttery and smooth. Yeah, he's good. Hilarious. What, uh, how, how'd the move go, dude? How is the, uh, dude, we're, new still, house? we're still moving. And like my wife and I were sitting on the patio this morning, just enjoying the quail running around in the desert and stuff and, um, writing a list. And I think that list got about, I think we're about eight months deep of things to do. So, uh, first off, we got to get out of the house that we were in. Um, I've got to do about a thousand square foot of tile there. It's my in-laws place. Uh, once we get done with that, we're going to start renovating this house. So I know early on on the podcast, listeners were, uh, we were talking about how we were going to build a house and things have changed. Uh, city of Mesa kind of priced us out on what it was going to cost to develop the land. Um, and so anyhow, we ended up buying a house, which we're really excited about where it's at and we're going to completely renovate it and the only thing that's going to hurt is my hunting and fishing until I get this thing done. So unfortunate, but uh, it'll be great when it's done. I'm looking forward to it. Construction, Rob. Right yeah, on. Yeah, that's going to be me. Dude, we have Bob just been 
Yeah, rob the builder. We've just been <laughs> one perennial like lie after another. When I built my house, it's like we're gonna have the sickest studio. We're gonna be like super legit. And then six <laughs> months later, we're still recording on like soup cans and tin string and sounding like crap. So it don't deliver. Well, the this office is-, is good. Like at your house, it's just it's just the echo is not what we expected. It just doesn't work there. Yeah, dude, I'm going to need to eat a lot of eggs and then just like tape egg cartons on the ceiling and on the walls so we'd be super yeah. legit. That's one way to do it for sure. Uh, Nick, what what's up your way, dude? Hey, man, just another day, another week in paradise over here. Um, haven't uh, been able to get my depressingly neglected boat wet for another week, and that's been weighing on me, but... Uh, I would say one of the comical highlights of my week, I was watching, uh, I have Hulu, and so they have a pretty legitimate uh, DVR library of shows to watch, but for whatever reason, their MLF selection is is pretty is pretty bad, and uh, I found one, and it, I think it was like, it definitely wasn't this year, it was last year, um, a Florida event, and I, I've had many crises in my life about what I was going to be when I grow up, and I think the next job I want to have is the guy who writes the closed captions like that. I, maybe it's a, it's a robot now. Right. But like still someone has to like write the closed captions. So on the MLF intro, like they do that little, it's kind of cheesy where there's like a, a, a cartoon of a guy casting and it like makes the sound a drag. And then he sets the hook. Dude, the closed captions said rod squeaking. Rod squeaking. <laughs> rod squeaking. Not, not drag, the sound of drag coming off of a reel is the rod squeaking. So like, wow. well, clearly I could do better than that. Definitely could. On the so fishing front, close, anyways. Yeah, I was as close to fishing as I got this week, man. I watched watched that, and uh, uh, I sent you guys a pretty funny video. Speaking of uh, your birthday party with your kids, man. Uh, Josh, have you ever had either of your kids fall asleep in their high chair during a meal? Our kids are on a schedule, bro. They got their stuff together. Clearly. I mean, that's just God's honest truth, man. Dude, it was so funny. All of our kids have done that, but our third is like, dude, he's just, he's out to prove, dude, he's out to prove he's not one of the others. That's for sure. And uh, we're like, man, the other ones have always fallen asleep in their high chair at some point. Well, he finally did it yesterday, and I sent you guys the video, but isn't that classic, dude? He's like, takes a bite, and then his head goes around like 360 degrees, and then down, and he's out. You need to, you need to share that with the listeners and put it on our Instagram. Dude, yeah, do if you don't mind, it is dude. hilarious. It's, it's incredible. It, it's viral worthy. I love that when he wakes up, he's like licking his lips, dude. He's oh, yeah. Like, he's like, I'm good. He wants another yeah, bite. Have another bite. Yeah, yeah, and then he's and then he's down, and then finally, I'll show you the picture. He finally just gave up, straight face down, not even to the side, just face down for a thirty-minute nap. I had already cleaned the kitchen. Thirty-minute duty out. <laughs> so good stuff. I love over it. Here. That was great, dude. That was hilarious. Funny to watch your kids lose lose their minds watching him, dude. Pretty funny. What is life if we don't just make fun of our offspring, right? Exactly. Exactly for sure. Uh, yeah, same thing my way, guys. Just uh, prepping for the U.S. Open. That's coming up in a couple weeks. So just uh, getting ready for that. You know, it was such – we talked about it a lot, but these last couple months were – it was so much back and forth and stuff. Um, had a lot of little things to do with my boat to kind of get it get it wrapped back up from the Great Lakes and ready to fish out west again. So um, everything in the boat now is Western, Western tackle, Western rods and reels, and, uh, it's ready to go. I, 
actually went out to Saguaro the other day just to test everything that I had tweaked on the boat, and uh, everything was good there. But man, it it felt so good to be out there. You know, even though the lake has it's it's certainly okay in an in okay shape. It's not what it was eight years ago, but it's it's okay. Um, but even with it, without it being like in amazing shape again, it just felt so good to be back out on that lake. So I was, I, uh, just a quick morning trip, but, um, felt great to be out there. Caught a couple, you know, a couple fish, nothing huge, but, um, man, just happy to see that lake again. I can't wait for that thing to cycle back up, man. It's, it seems like everything's on a cycle and I took it for granted the last time. I think we all did. Unfortunately, you know, it just, it was phenomenal and it's, I think it's coming back, but it's not uh, not quite there. It is. There's enough big fish held over where you, it keeps your interest right now. But there are so many one-pound fish in there. Hmm. In uh, in two or three years, those fish are going to be three-pounders, dude. Yep. Four-pounders. And uh, they grow so fast. They've got such a good growth rate. They've got great genes. It's going to be a, it's going to be good. And hopefully they're dumb, dude, like they're – ancestors were eight years ago they've gotten they've gotten pretty smart over the last few years with all that fishing pressure but um so that was good anyways and we'll see hopefully we can all get out and do some fishing this coming week before we move on to our official you know official show i want to do a little more q a we've been lucky to have a lot of uh, great questions sent in by the listeners and uh, before we actually answer them let's just ask the listeners to keep them coming because it's been it's been great it gives us stuff to talk about um able to answer your questions and again whether or not there's any validity in what we say uh there are opinions anyway so um keep sending them we've got three more today and we've got some more for next week so if, if your question hasn't been answered yet we will get to it um and again keep sending them in send us a message on facebook or instagram write it in the comment section on itunes however you want to do it is cool um and we'll start with this one from shane in florida he says, I hear about pros making bait changes when it goes from sunny to cloudy during the day. I live in Florida. What type of changes should I possibly make living down here? And I think it's it's still pretty general. Like, if you guys want to start with this one, we'll let, let you answer first, Rob. But um, I don't know if there's any just difference in Florida or wherever else. You go ahead, Rob. Why are you laughing, Nick? <laughs> Rob's reaction to you throwing it over to him is just classic. He's trying to sip coffee in his French bistro background over there, and you're serving him up hot and fresh. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely um, – is he saying cloudy to sunny, like, from one hour to the next, or – Yeah, I would think, like, just during the day, like, yeah. like it, the conditions change in the day. What should he do? Yeah, I think maybe, uh, I mean, uh, a color change on a plastic might be key. Um and it depends. I mean, I don't know, just cloud cover. Um, is it going to an hour worth of cloud cover? Is that going to get them on a reaction bait? Maybe, possibly. Um, I think our fish out here react a little different. Um, I've been in situations like uh, catching spotted bass in Northern California. And I mean, you get some adverse weather and a little cloud cover and those fish will absolutely smash a spinner bait. Um, and then all of a sudden the sun's out and you can't catch them on the bank. You got to, you know, get out deep and catch them on a worm. So that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. You might be better at answering this one, Josh, just with your experience throughout the country. I know it's going to be different from region to region, but there definitely is something to that. And, and definitely, uh, 
you know, it just, it depends on where you're at in Florida. You have probably a lot more experience about that. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you where it is different everywhere you go. Of course, you know, it's, and I, I was, I guess my, when I was talking about kind of in general, my, my first thought is like, if you're catching fish and it's sunny, if you're still catching fish, don't change anything. Like Point. make sure that the fish stop biting before you make any changes. That would be like the first thing that I would say. But um, there definitely comes a time when windows open up, just like you're saying, man, like a, a reaction bite opens up or something like that. And it, it might be completely picking up another bait. It might be just changing color to like, like what you said, going from, you know, if you're in Florida, going from watermelon to June bug, you know, those are two watermelon red to June bug. Those are two famous Florida colors. And you throw watermelon red when it's sunny and you throw June bug when it's cloudy. Um, or, or maybe if you're throwing a vibrating jig going from a green pumpkin to white or a green pumpkin to black and blue, just something that's more solid that they can see better. But, um, Hey, if they're still biting that green pumpkin, don't put it down. Yeah. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing. If you're, if you're catching fish, um, but yeah, I think that probably covers it. Anything else to to add or? I was just gonna chip in. I wanted you guys to dig deeper into color, Josh, and you, and you caught that, man. So it's it's kind of like when the it's counterintuitive at first, but it's like if it if the sun goes behind clouds or like night fishing, you want to throw a dark color, right? Because it's that contrast thing. That's how I feel, and that's what you've always done night fishing, right? Right, because it just shows up better. Isn't that kind of the idea there? Yeah, yeah. So either really dark purple like a june bug black mm-hmm. and blue uh or really bright you know like like a solid white mm-hmm. uh white and chartreuse stuff like that that they can just see that better when those fish are are looking up you know at a bait and and everything's dark if you've got a, a translucent bait they have a really hard time seeing it so those are the adjustments from a cloudy to sunny to cloudy and then like you said rob dude sunny to cloudy to sunny is the real challenge that's when like instead of the opportunities opening up and, and, and being excited about what's going to turn on now, you're like, okay, what's turning off? How am I going to bear down and, and figure out how to keep, keep catching? Like I'm surely going to catch less than I was mm-hmm. when this storm or weather was in or the clouds were in, how can I at least keep the needle moving and catching a few fish? So that that's when you have to make some, some adjustments in the opposite direction. Yeah. What, one of the things I think of like locally for us here guiding, um, let's say in the monsoon season, the rainy season here in the summer, it's hot. And I mean, Arizona is hot and sunny. Like that's Uh, 340 days out of the year. Yeah. I mean, all the time. So let's say it's August and you wake up in the morning and it's been sunny for ever. Right. And all of a sudden you have a cloudy morning, um, you know, a little late monsoon going into the morning. I mean, We've had um, some phenomenal days on our lakes in those situations. It just, not only is it um, probably the clouds, I think it's just purely change from mm-hmm. the norm, right? So those fish just react to that. And and do we change the way we fish? Probably not as much uh, as just the fish are biting better. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense, man. Makes sense 100%. Just, it's an opportunity. They're opportunistic feeders. And uh something's different things are shaking up and they take advantage yep that's cool right on i think that covers that one pretty well the next one would be nate and uh i'll probably take this because just because uh i've been on the great lakes a bunch over the last few years um and it's a great lakes question how do you got how do you practice for the great lakes tournaments 
graphing for sweet spots, actual fish, or just fishing. And um, I'll start it, and then you guys add the way I'm going to spin this thing. But um, for me, Great Lakes are no different than any other tournament as far as that goes. Like, everything's situational. I've got, um, you know, if, if, if I am familiar with the body of water and I know where some good areas might be already, I probably will spend more time fishing, less time graphing. If I'm in a completely unfamiliar area, don't know the first thing about this reef or this shoal or whatever, I'm going to do a lot of graphing to first, you know, find what, where the sweet spots might be, try to find the edges, try to find the boulders, the rough spots, stuff like that. Um, and then of course, sometimes when you're fishing X depth or shallower for me, that's like less than 15 feet, you know, you can graph to look for like boulders and stuff like that, but really I think you, you're a lot more effective if you just put the trolling motor down and search and fish when you're in less than that depth. Because if you do idle, if you're in 12 feet and you idle over something, that fish usually is already spooked off by the time you get over it. So um, those are kind of, it's, it's a, all three. I do all three for sure. And that's kind of how it is everywhere. Like, I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's Great Lakes or not. But, um, you know, I know like I, I fish with you guys a bunch. And sometimes when you're fishing, pre-fishing in less than, uh, you know, uh, 15 feet, a, a search bait can, t- can tell you a lot. Like, do you guys Carolina rig a lot to try to feel bottoms and stuff like that when you're, when you're fishing offshore? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially on a lake that, you know, I mean, you might just kind of fine tune yourself with a bait like that, or out in Arizona, we throw a football jig a lot, um, just to essentially just to feel the bottom and, and get dialed in on what, what the fish are on or, and, and you can feel everything. You can cover water quickly with it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's definitely baits that work better for searching than others. Um, and sometimes those baits are the right baits to be throwing during the tournament too. You know, it might be for sure. You never put it down. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Nice. Okay. Uh, moving on. Next one is from Oscar. What's everyone's, bucket list place to fish mm. i know uh nick dude you're all over this one dude because you're always researching uh bodies of water and you've been on some cool trips yourself but what uh, what's your bucket list list place yeah man certainly in the bass fishing world i still have never caught a bass in mexico so i think just right off the cuff i'd, I'd love to do some bass fishing in mexico i've been lucky enough to do a decent amount of traveling in the united states bass fishing but for me i'd like to I'd like to go to one of the, you know, they're always changing which one's the best, but any of those would be, God, top of my list for sure. How close, you know, I know you visited family in Mexico a bunch, dude, over the years. Like, how close is that to any legit bass fishing? From what I understand, most of the legit bass fishing in Mexico is kind of the northern end of the country, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like, isn't Bacharach pretty close to the the border, roughly? Bacharach's further down, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, I want to say it's a... When we drove down there, it was 1993 when we went there, so a long time ago. But um, it was, I think, like a 14-hour, 12- or 14-hour drive from the Phoenix area. So, But it's like, I think it's below Texas, isn't it? I don't know. So at any rate, yeah. Yeah, well, 1993, dude, I was five years old. So I think a lot of the 90s stories, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you tow with, dude? What did you have back then? So I had a Good 1991 single cab four-wheel drive three-quarter ton dodge diesel 
the old school one. Dude, that's like the 12 valve Cummins. That's like yeah. the holy grail. You of could Cummins. move a house with it and it topped out at like 62, 60. I mean, it like literally pedal to the metal it, everywhere you went. And that's, huh. I mean, it, it was just as fast as you could go. Like, like in today's traffic, you could not drive that vehicle. But you see, would die. Yeah, it has all the raw potential, though, dude. You just got to turn the pump up on that thing. I had, so my kids and I affectionately named it Betty White. And it was a 93 regular cab, long bed. And But, dude, that that P-pump is a magical piece of mechanical engineering. And you turn that thing up, and it would blow a cloud of black smoke so thick and for so long that it was, like, impenetrable. And uh, one time, we're, you know how, like, you'll have two lanes merging into one? And I was, I was moving, man. I was going 52, 53, and a 45. And one of those little tiny Teslas, like that little cheaper sedan. The opposite of what you Dude came up. And this sounds fake, but I promise it's not. My kids had their full karate attire on because we would sit like regular cab, right? So I'm like doing the arm over the shoulders thing. And, and I saw him coming. And I was like, watch this. And I upshifted into third and stood on it. And instantly, dude, I mean, there's so it, it had been turned up, obviously. It was fast, dude. And he had no idea what hit him. And I zoomed out in front and he was gone. Just smoke screened him into this black sit cloud, shifted back into fourth. My kids are laughing and I could see him way back there. And it's like, America. We have a boy, that's loud. Is it loud for you guys now, all of a sudden? Anyhow, um, my buddy Brad, he lives out by you, Josh. He had a 95 uh, Cummins diesel that was just juiced. I mean, that thing would... <laughs> we were driving down a uh, mill one day, and there was like five dudes walking to lunch in their white work shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. You couldn't see them anymore. It was terrible. <laughs> you couldn't see them anymore. It becomes, it like, really fun when you have the power to just, like, obliterate the earth in a black cloud. All you can do is just to stay out of it because you just How? want to. How pissed would you be if that happened to you, though? <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. If it no happened to me, I'd be yeah. excited. I'd be like, yes, but Such the average person, move. yeah. <laughs> so see, There's no I, way – you actually did that when you were older than 25, huh, Nick? Yeah, ish. And I had two small kids in it, dude. Imagine how yeah, terrible my kids are going to grow up. I know. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, man. They, Good job, uh, Nick. <laughs> they come by it honestly, so at least it's not like we can point where it came from. But uh, anyways, back on track. I don't think I'd have the stones to drive that that drive to Mexico with. I mean, at that time, that was a recent rig. But but to your question, Josh, my family, my in-laws live way far south. So yeah, I just yeah. I don't think there's any fishing. I, I've poked around a little bit, and uh, most of that fishing down there is like to sustain. So they don't really like worry so much about conservation as much as they do eating and so that usually has a real negative impact on the uh fisheries but i think all of mexico is like that i mean most of them are all real i mean they're netting there's nets run across all of them but fishing's those lakes are just so good and i think they overcome a lot of that and and certainly i don't know on the bass side but i definitely know on the saltwater side they there is a new era dawning where they realize that they can make way more money in the tourism industry letting someone catch the same fish a hundred times versus catching it one time and eating it. And so I would say hopefully that's, you know, hitting those bass areas too, because like you said, they've got the ability to pump out some great stuff. It's so easy now with the lodges. Like, I mean, it's been five years since I went and we've talked to, I think we've talked a little bit about Mexico bass fishing, but um, I went to El Salto and dude, they've got these lodges. Like, 
pretty much all of the good bass lakes have these all-inclusive lodges, and it's so easy. All you have to do is get your plane ticket, dude, and you're, you're everything else is done. And they pick you up from the airport. They take you there. You know, you eat like a king. You have amazing fishing for three to five days while you're there, and you go home fat and happy. It's uh, <laughs> it's awesome, dude. It Absolutely really ruins any bass fishing you <laughs> do after that. How many guys <laughs> do you know? I know you know some, Rob. I know a handful that used to fish seriously, like locally. You'd yeah. see them every yeah. weekend at the lake. And, dude, they just got sick of it. Now they just go to El Salto or Bacharach three times a year. They just yep. save all that money. <laughs> And they don't even mess with it, dude. Like you, if you try to take them to Lake Pleasant, they would, they would hate it. Yep. yep. And they grew up fishing there. No, it's there's a lot of guys in this area that are like that. They just cut the number of trips and go and have quality trips down there. So I don't know. What's your bucket list, Josh? Since we dude. went off on that tangent about it, Dodge Diesels, <laughs> ruining yeah. white shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so unexposed to saltwater fishing. That like I'm sure there's some t- types of salt water. Like we had Gerald Sporer on here and he talked about it a lot. And it sounds amazing, dude. And I'd probably get hooked on it. But um, since freshwater is pretty much what I know, dude, I I would love to spend some time and do like a float trip in Canada somewhere. You know, I've, yeah. I I think you've done that, haven't you? Uh, not to the, not to what it could possibly be. Gotcha. I mean, do you mean I've like done. a float plane trip, Josh? Yeah, I'd like to talk to someone who is super legit, like talk to like Troy Lindner and be like, hey, what's the best place to go up in Ontario somewhere? And uh, yeah, just like go to one of these lakes that is loaded with walleye, smallmouth and pike and yeah. just rip it up for a week. Like just fish completely unpressured, insane fish. And, and and just to be up in the North Woods, like I really love being up in the North Woods. It's awesome. So I think that would be probably uh, my choice. I've been lucky to fish a lot of the, I mean, all the good bass lakes in our country. I've been to most of them. And uh, I, I love the smallmouth fishing up north. So that would just be kind of another level of that different different way to do that. Yeah, I think, I think my bucket list, uh, it involves you, Josh. So on the St. Lawrence, I would love to go fish that with you. So, That'd be awesome, dude. Heck be yeah. Oh, what a bro. Isn't that special? So sweet. I'm yeah. going to click the heart emoji here on Will Skype. Will you do that? Hey, guys, yeah, I'm going to react with a heart. Here you go. It has nothing. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. That was so sweet. <laughs> no, but that's I just, hilarious. and that's just right now. I mean, you watch all those, those Northern swing tournaments and I mean, that is some unbelievable smallmouth fishing. So it'd be a lot of fun to do. Even but, with the pressure of a tournament, it's fun. I can't imagine yeah. just going for fun for a week, dude. It'd be a it'd yeah. Be but but I mean, someone going up there blind and not you know not knowing the water, you could definitely struggle in those lakes, I would think, or in those bodies of water. So it would uh, be interesting seeing it with someone that does well on those bodies of water. So what's interesting is there aren't a ton of guides. Like so, like of course it, we fished up there so much. Like I have people ask me like, where when should I go and who should I go? And I'm like, dude, I. I yeah, don't know. I'm sure there's a couple guides, but no one bass fishes up there. Like that, huh. that in the a, window of opportunity is probably pretty small too for them to guide. So it would. Yes. I mean, it's plus yeah, the liability of having clients on that water. Can you imagine having clients out there in that rough water? Gosh. That's a good point. Yeah, like an actual Great Lakes guide. Um, you know, they they have a ton of like charter boats. Oh, they probably salmon and stuff. Uh-huh. And they'll randomly catch, dude, you see these pictures of these guys and they do the troll and they'll catch like a six and a half pound smallie trolling dude. And they're like, ah, you know, 
not another bath. You know, yeah, what are those? What do those fillets look like? Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're dainty compared to a twenty-pound salmon, right? right? These don't these don't taste good as a salmon. We'll keep this thing anyways. We want them out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob, you know, I thought you were gonna say like some of the SRP canals throughout Phoenix here. I thought maybe you were gonna go that way with your dream fishery. I see you fly hold fishing, one of the fly yeah. fishing carp at the uh, Dolly at Canyon. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That too, right? Yeah. You're not having fun if you're not getting your line tangled on like some tweaker's shopping cart turned upside down <laughs> in a canal somewhere. That's that's like the that's the pinnacle. That's hilarious. Throwing the French fry at them. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, well, cool. Hey, uh, those are uh, those are good questions. So thank you guys again for sending those in. Um, we'll handle a couple more next week. Uh, before we send it over to our guest, uh, I just want to talk about him a little bit. Um, I know most of the listeners have probably heard about him, but um, he's kind of a Western fishing legend. Uh, his name's Sean Bailey, and um, he's kind of it's kind of interesting because right when Rob was getting out of tournament fishing is right when Sean was uh, really getting into it, you know. And Sean was a little bit before me still, um, you know. When I came in, he was already super legit, you know, well known around the West. And uh, he's unique because he actually, uh, similar to like Jason Barofka, who we had on not too long ago, um, he's got a background in big fish fishing. So like uh, Sean has has caught, again, literally hundreds of 10-pound fish. And that's, that's not an exaggeration, uh, throwing big swim baits and stuff. But he's also an extremely talented tournament angler and guide. So he's going to have some interesting stories. He lives over in Lake Havasu now. And... Um, I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. As am I. Yeah, right on. Well, let's uh, let's swing it over to him. Where are you at now, dude? Are you, I know you split in time between Havasu and California, right? Where are you at right now? Uh, right now, I'm back in California. I came back uh, yesterday from uh, Havasu. Cool. I saw you're breaking in a new boat over there, right? Yeah, you know how that is. I'm sure it's it's always fun driving a boat around for five or six hours a day and doing nothing but driving but Havasu is a good place to get it done at I can go all the way to Needles and go all the way back down to the dam and do it all over again so it's a good place to break a boat in I guess that's a good point yeah it's dude if you do it on Saguaro Lake here uh you have to do about a hundred laps it's horrible but it's Havasu's the Indy like, 500 <laughs> yeah it's Havasu's way more scenic man that's that's actually probably the best place to do it it is but you know like on a, in a on a summer weekend I mean it's like I don't know. It's like being in the ocean almost, you know, trying to break a boat in. There's so many boat wakes and wakeboarders and jet skiers and sightseers. And it's just like, it's so rough out there, but at least you get to, you know, don't have to turn left all day long. Yeah. <laughs> You're not doing Ricky Bobby. Yeah. How horrible has this summer been dude with like traffic because of everything going on? It's been, it's been a crazy summer for Havasu. I mean, I go up there, you know, every weekend or every other weekend and, uh, it's one of those deals where if I if I take the pontoon out with the wife and the kids, like I got to launch at like six in the morning, and then you don't want to be anywhere near that launch ramp at like four to five or even later in the afternoon. So you got to get off kind of early. And I've been pretty good at just kind of like figuring out how to avoid the crowds, uh, at least the launch ramp crowds, and uh, just get it done quick and easy. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty pretty crazy up there. Starting in the springtime it was nuts, man. I mean, it was just like, everything was shut down here in California. So it seemed like everybody was going to the river. That's the place to go, man. Yeah. It, I saw some of those lines, like, especially on the holiday weekends, like I saw this, this video of a line at Mojave, the line had to have been like 
a mile, literally a mile long. The boats wanting to get in the parking lot was already full. Yeah. See, I, I, I uh, saw some videos of that too and kind of like figured out that you got to be there before about eight, eight in the morning. And Havasu was weird. They were actually only doing like half capacity for the parking lots. So at like 8.30, that place was shut down. And then uh, they had a line like Mojave was getting, you know, like a couple mile long, long line. And, uh, you know, one guy would get off the lake and then they would let one guy on, you know. So I just, oh. I just said, screw it, man. I'm going to get there early and avoid all that crap if I can. Like a fisherman, right on, dude. Uh, <laughs> hey, so, dude, uh, we do things a little differently, like on this show. Like we – a lot of podcasts like kind of they'll go way back and kind of interview like you know start where you started your fishing career and stuff like this but um you know we're pretty random with how we do this but it just tell us the most ridiculous thing you know and we'll be great (laughs) (laughs) not 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 quite like that but dude the first thing i want to talk about was like and here's a great way to bring myself in and and try to pump myself up make myself feel good too right so I made a post like two weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I thought it was pretty cool, man. I was going to post something about the biggest tournament bag I ever caught. And it was like, it was 33 pounds. And I was like, oh yeah, dude, I'm going to post this. And I said, who else has caught over 30 pounds? Thinking not too many people were going to be able to reply here. And literally within like 30 seconds of my post, the first reply is from Sean Bailey. Yeah, I caught 50, bro. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like I remember my I little did, third. I did not I did not post that I caught fifty. Did, oh, what did oh what did you catch forty eight? What was forty nine and a half? I had, I had forty four, but I was I was all bitter and I'm still bitter to this day. And I'm and I'm probably gonna sound like an asshole, but like I'm pissed because I only caught forty four, but I weighed in a six and I lost a twelve and I said I should have could have <laughs> okay, would have had fifty. Wow. <laughs> right on. Dude, talk about that day if you if you can. Oh, it's I mean it's it's bittersweet, like I said. I mean it's an awesome accomplishment. It's the biggest bag I ever caught. I'll never forget it. I got to catch it with my brother, you know. Um but it's bitter because like you know, how how many times in my life am I gonna have the po- uh, be you know, be possible to catch a fifty pound bag for five and I blew it. But uh, so I'll go back and talk about the actual day. Um, it was at Lake Casitas, you know, one of the lakes that I grew up fishing. It was the lake that we made the uh, big bait posse video at. You know, it was a big swim bait lake. They stocked a ton of trout. It had a bunch of bunch of big ones in there. I mean, and, and when I say a bunch of big ones, I know you, you you're around some lakes, you know, Saguaro and Canyon that have had a bunch of big ones, but that's nothing what, like compared to what these lakes had like at that time Makes frame sense. in history. Um, you know, it was full of 10 pounders. I mean, I used to, we used to go out and just fun fish all the time. I used to guide there and I'd catch a 10 pounder and I'd boat flip it and it would come off and I would literally just kick it out of the boat. Like not even want to touch it. Like just laugh. Wow. Just, just pissed. Cause it was like just another 10, you know what I mean? Like give me a a 15 or something, you know, like I see him all day long. Like I don't want to catch a 10 pounder. I want to catch a 15 pounder. And, uh, you know, and, and then when you're fun fishing and stuff, it was just, it, it got to be, you know, like where all you wanted was like a high teen fish because they're in there and, you know, there's so many tens, it's, you know, you, 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 you get them, you catch them a lot, you know? And so it was like, I'm tired of catching these tens, but, uh, come tournament time, uh, I had a new bait that, that had come out. Uh, not a lot of guys knew about it. Actually, nobody knew about it. Um, and it was a, a 10 inch triple trout. 
and this was back before anybody knew what a triple trot was and it was brand 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 new and uh some guys had some like eight inch versions and somehow i had come across a, <clears throat> a 10 inch version and i swear it was like that lake was weird they were really really smart like they would you would get a new bait that they had never seen <clears throat> excuse me and it would be fire for like a year but then i would i would catch you know, me and my buddies would catch all the aggressive fish within a year's time frame on a certain bay, and then like nothing would bite it anymore. You That's know, amazing, it's just dude. like just like typical bass fishing. You know what I mean? It's like the Alabama rig or anything like that. When it first comes out, it's fire. All the big aggressive fish in the lake get caught on it, and now it's tough to get bit on it. You know, but so I had this bait, and I and I had only had it for like like two weeks, and it was just I mean it was just fire. It was amazing. It was better than the Huddleston when it came out. I mean, me and Matt had the Huddleston when it came out, like, like probably six months before anybody even knew what it was. We were testing it and it was just, just amazing. Like fishing live bait, you know? So I got this 10 inch triple trout and I'm, and I'm catching them on it. And it's like late, late spawn, early post spawn time. And I'm burning it, you know, I'm fishing it real aggressive, fishing it real fast. And like just wolf packs of 10 to 15 pounders are just coming off of points. Like nobody's business. Just, just, fighting for this thing and so all of a sudden we get the tournament that comes up on the lake it's an aba team tournament and i'm like sweet it's gonna be it's gonna be fun so i go out there and i'm fishing it and i catch like you know yeah. catch a bunch of sixes and sevens and eights and i'm calling up through the day and um i'm stuck at like 30 pounds and i'm like man this is weird i can't catch a big one you know like I, I, i'm catching all like sixes and eights i can't i can't get a big one i don't know what the deal is and so i'm like oh i know i know this spot so I run to this spot and it's in this cove and it's like this, uh, like a floating ivy patch is what I called it. It was weird. We didn't have a ton of like vegetation in the lake, but for some reason we get this like weird ivy and like this one big patch had like broken off and like floated out in the middle of the lake. And I had seen some big ones swimming around on it in the middle of this pocket. Like dude, like a so kelp go, bed out in the ocean? Almost like a kelp patty, but only in like, in like a pocket. So it was over only over like floating over like 10 feet of water. You oh, know? perfect. You know, it wasn't like out in the middle of the lake, but it was just like in the back of a pocket, kind of just like milling around. Some some days it would be like kind of like against the bank. Some days it would be off out in the middle of the pocket. But there was always be some fish hanging out around it, you know. So I roll up on it, and I and I'm 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 kind of like trying to look at it from a, a distance, you know. And so I'm like, oh, I'll make a cast. So I make a cast by it, and I'm I'm reeling it by it, and I'm reeling it by it, and like and an like, eleven comes out, and just tanks it. You know, I'm like, all right, well, at least I got a big one for the day. So I call like a six and now I've got like an 11. And so I've got like 30 something pounds. I don't, I don't remember exactly. And then, uh, you know, later through the day I'm, I'm, I'm fishing and, and my brother ends up catching like an eight and a half on a worm of all things behind me that day. Cause he's just netting on my fish. So now we've got like 38 or something, you know, I'm like, this is awesome. We're going to, we're going we're to get 40 today. And then I go to another spot and I, and I lose that one. That was like a 12 and I'm like devastated. I'm so mad. Um, hey, do you know you've got the tournament one at this point? Do you know? Oh like, yeah. Oh okay. yeah. By far, by far. I knew it. Like I knew that nobody was going to catch more than like 20 that day. You know, like I just, <laughs> it was more of like, how much can I catch today while I'm on a roll, you know? Sure. So I ended up losing that 12 and I was really bummed, but I'm like, yeah, I still got time. So with like, Five minutes left in the day, 
I'm like, let me go hit that ivy patch again. So I roll up to it, and this time the sun angle is like perfect, and I can see underneath it. And there's like two more 11s just like suspended underneath this patch. And I'm like, oh, man, here we go. So I've got like literally minutes left on the clock and uh, I make a cast and I, and I wind it and I wind, I burn it by it as fast as I can and I kill it. And like one of these fish, one of these 11 pounders is like pure black. And then the other one is like super, super light colored. So obviously I, I can tell the difference between the two really, really well. And the, and the pure black dark one comes flying out a hundred miles an hour and eats it. And I'm like, I got it. And I'm fighting it, and it's, I'm like, you know, I'm fighting it, and it's like jumping and, you know, head shaking and digging, and, and it comes off. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I look at the clock, and, I, and I've got like two minutes left. And I haven't reeled my bait in yet. I'm just still, you know, I'm just still stomping around the boat all pissed off. And out of the corner of my eye, I start reeling the bait in, you know, really slow. And out of the corner of my eye, I see that other 11-pounder under the ivy patch coming. No way. But she's coming slow. You know, and it's just coming real slow. And I'm like, oh, she's coming. So I twitch it again. And I don't want to reel it back to the boat because I'm already halfway back, you know. So, and I'm, so I just like, kind of like just twitching this bait a little bit. She's coming. She's coming. And she's coming. And she's coming. And she gets like five feet from the bait. And I, I twitch it and burn it a little bit. And she just tomahawks it. And eats it. And so I'm like, I got her. So I wind her in. And it's, an, it's another 11 pounders. So basically I had two 11s eat it on the same exact cast without reeling the bait to the boat. And I ended up getting that other one. That'll make you feel so, a little bit better. Yeah. 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 So, so I get her in the boat and I race in and I, you know, I make it in with like a minute to spare and we ended up weighing like 44 and a half or whatever. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my claim to fame, I guess. That's, that's a hard one to top, dude. You'll go a long time in life. That's a pretty extraordinary day. Yeah. That lake isn't like that anymore. It doesn't, they don't, they, they killed that lake. They stopped stocking trout, a bunch of those big ones, you know, vanished, died, starved, whatever. So, It'll never be like that again. So I'm stuck with the 44 pound bag. I'll never get that 50 pound bag like I should have. It's, it's all right. I'll live with it. <laughs> all right. That's cool. What? So what were the conditions like that day that made it so unbelievable, man? It wasn't really a conditions type thing on that on that lake when you had a new bait. It could oh, be the new bait. Right, that, it was the new bait factor. You know what gotcha. I mean? It was the fact that no, but no, none of the fish on that lake had seen that bait. And they never seen a bait presented to them like that before. Like everything before was like, 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 like a wake bait, like an, like an AC plug or the castic hard bait, which was a two piece wooden floating trout with a bill. So everything was like slow wake on the surface. And then the other presentation that was, you know, popular at the time, the only thing we really had was what we called a, a worm king dinosaur. So like a saltwater style swim bait, but 12 inches long with a, just a big lead head, you know what I mean? That you just fed through the bait and you can wind it deep. There wasn't a lot of options at that point in time. Like the Osprey had just come out, you know, so there was a few little, little, little things. Uh, the, the Huddleston had come out. There wasn't a lot of options like there is nowadays. Like there was no glide baits. There was nothing super tricky you know it was just real basic and so when the new bait came out those fish were really 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 into it because they just had never seen it and plus nobody had ever like burned a big bait like that before but Shot. the design of that the design of that triple trout allowed you to fish that thing real erratically and real fast and those fish you know it, it obviously looked like a, a fleeing you know trout and they had never seen that presentation before everything to them previous had been a slow presentation like a slow wake or a slow roll 
or a steady slow grind. There was never a bait that was on the market that you could like burn really quick, and it really really triggered those fish. What what year was that, Sean? In that tournament? God, I'd have to go back and look. I'm going to say it's like 2002 or something like that. Okay, so 18 years ago or so. Yeah. That's cool. And that bait is still a legit bait. Like, is it part of your arsenal now, man? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I was fishing it this weekend with my with my kid. You know what I mean? We were just cruising around needles, you know, when I'm breaking that boat. And I'm fishing a little six-inch one. But I'm, I'm past, like, all, like, all the fishermen and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of a lot of guys fish in the river, like, as you know. But not a lot of guys go past Topak, you know? Yep. Um, <laughs> so, I ran all the way up to needles just to kind of get away from the crowd and there's a bunch of uh smallmouth up there in the grass like on the on the riprap bank on the right hand side going up it's just like five miles of riprap with just sparse like river grass out in front of it and all those smallmouth are just sitting in that current right now just because it's you know their only option and it's the cooler water so i'm just drifting around throwing a six inch triple trout burning it like super fast and catching smallmouth so it's still a still a major factor it's still tied on my rod all fall and, uh, you know, some of the spring and a lot of the summer as well. That's cool, man. So that one has had a little more staying power than a lot of the other swim baits. And, and it probably is, like you said, dude, because it's such a reaction deal. Yeah, it is. It's uh, It's been a staple. It's been around a long time. I mean, there's like, you know, like AC plugs. They've kind of fallen by the wayside. There's a lot cooler looking wake baits now. Huddleston's, they've, they've still been around, you know, forever. They always will be. It's a real realistic bait, easy to fish. Triple trout's been a mainstay for, you know, 20 years or so now. So there's not many baits that have been around that still catch them that long like that bait does. Interesting. Um, cool, man. So so you're, you're a legendary big bait guy. Um, and, and, you know, you already were by, like, the early 2000s, the mid-2000s when you did big bait posse and stuff like that. But, like, what prompted you to move over to Havasu um, at that point and out of California? So it was, it was like just real, real good timing, I guess, because we had put that video out about, you know, fishing casitas with the big bait and uh, the place was losing momentum. And I say that because, you know, the video had come out and the crowds were just astronomical. And I had fished hmm. a couple of tournaments on Havasu and uh, I had won a championship there and I had won it on a baby E. I'm sure you know what a bit. remember the oh, California yeah. swim babes. Baby all e. the heads are melted on my baby E's now, dude. They're <laughs> trash. Yeah. They're all, they're, they're all like white cause the lead, you know, yeah. but, uh, no, nobody had, nobody had fished a swim bait at Havasu. Like, you, like not, I'm not, I'm not talking like a big swim bait, but like in the early 2000s, nobody had fished a small swim bait, a baby E, a six inch triple trout. And a few other baits that I made. Um, it, it just everybody was up there, and everybody was, you know, fishing for a 12-pound bag. And, and of course, coming from where I am, I'm like, well, I'm going to go throw a swim bait. I'm not going to throw a 10-inch swim bait, but I'm going to throw a swim bait. And the the fish reacted to it like, you know, like like at home, but in a smaller scale. You know what I mean? Like catching 100 fish a day. You know, talking to guys that I know that fish there regularly, they're like, yeah, if you catch 12 pounds and 10 fish a day, you're doing pretty good. Well, I'm catching 15 pounds a day and, and I'm catching a hundred a day or 80 a day or 50 a day, Gosh, whatever it was. It, but it was just like incredible fishing, you know? So in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, this place is like virgin in, in my head. You know what I mean? I'm like, you could do some damage here. You can, you can win some tournaments here. And, and at that time there were quite a few just 
team tournaments and a couple pro-ams there. So, you know, go back in home, go, going home after I, after I win the tournament, back to Casitas and going back to the crowds. And, you know, they stopped, they were slowly stopping the stock trout and the fish were just, you know, getting tougher to catch. And plus I was really bored, you know, and it sounds stupid, but I was really bored of just going to the same lake. It's like going to Canyon every day with four rods for yeah, 15 man. years and doing the, doing the same thing over and over and over. And I, I kind of realized like, Dude, you're you're not gonna catch a twenty five pounder out of here. You know, like get over it, you know, move on with your life, go do something else, you know. So I was like, Well, I'm gonna move to Havasu. Screw it. We already came out with the video and so I just went up there and just, just you know, rented a house and just moved all my crap up there and just started fishing tournaments and never really left. And the same thing happened to Havasu, you know. I, I fished it for I mean, I did I did my best for like three or four years to keep it a as a, a, a total secret not tell a soul i wouldn't even throw a swim bait if i was within sight of another bass boat hmm. um I, you didn't have to i could like if there was a guy 400 yards away i could just pick up and drive 800 yards away where he couldn't see me and go catch him over there so i i did a really good job of keeping it a big secret for three or four or five years but then you know pro-ams happen and you get co-anglers and that's really what ruins your bite um so it got out, and then everybody started throwing a swim bait. And then it was just, after a couple more years, it was just like throwing a crankbait. It was just tough to get a bite on it, you know. It's amazing how fish get conditioned. We've talked about it uh, on the show, dude, with the A-Rig a few times. And uh, it's just mind-blowing. And, like, Havasu is a bigger lake than Casitas. So it's it's also, it's it's interesting to hear that it happened there. And did it take, like, did it take a little longer? And, and can you go to parts of Havasu now that, like, get less fishing pressure and, 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 and notice the fish are a little different than the fish that live on the main lake. I mean, those are some smart fish, dude. Dude, they're, they're really smart at Havasu and, and, you know, it gets a lot of fishing pressure and it did take them a little bit longer. And like, like, like you said, I think it was because obviously it was a bigger lake, but it seemed like, you know, like all those fish that are in the bowl, what we call the bowl, like the Windsor area, like from like the mouth of the river down to like site six and like that whole bowl area, those fish were the biggest fish in the lake and they were the most aggressive and there's not a lot of deep water there. You know, it's, you know, 20 something, 30 foot out in the middle, but it's just nothing out in the middle. So all those fish related to the bank within the first 20, you know, 15 feet of the bank. And those fish were the ones that got conditioned the quickest because I was, I was so, I was having so much fun that I would go out like five days a week and just wreck them you know, like a hundred a day, like 50 to a hundred a day and just wreck them. And I just, I burned it out quick. You know, I just, I educated too many fish too fast. And it's all because I was just, it was, it was fun. I just wanted to catch them, you know? Oh, how could you stop? Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, I should have just not done that. And I should have just saved it for Saturday and, and just learned something else on the lake, but I was having a lot of fun. So I just, I burned them all out interesting um it's cool to hear like kind of how how that started man um and, and, and at that time when you had first moved over there were there like were there as many smallmouth as there are now in there had they taken off like this yet uh there there was actually more believe it or not interesting so i think what's happened on that lake is there's a lot of smallmouth in there now but there's been a few years where i think that the snowbirds, when they come to the lake, especially on the years where the bait is 
you know, guys can use a throw net and catch bait, like in the marina at Site 6. There, there, there was a, quite a few years in a row where bait was accessible to an old-timer or anybody who wanted it seven days a week in the middle of the wintertime. And those guys were going out in pontoon boats and ski boats and whatever they could get their hands on. And they were catching limit after limit after limit after limit of big, giant, smallmouth, and they were killing them all. They were uh, keeping them. You know, like, I'd go to the – they were all from, like, Minnesota and, you know, areas where guys eat fish, you know what I mean? And, like, that's what they wanted to do. They, smallmouth tasted good, they said, and they wanted to eat smallmouth, so they went out – they'd go out in the morning and catch a limit and go home and go out in the afternoon and catch a limit. I mean, totally, <laughs> totally illegal, but it was – they could be done in 10 minutes. I mean, you know, when you're fishing live shad on Havasu, it's it's – it's easy. It's super easy to catch fish. Well, Rob's and a fellow Minnesotan, so. Yeah, and people What's in that? Minnesota literally fish lakes out, and then they go to the next lake. They got, you know, 10,000 more lakes to fish after that. That's why Rob ended up here. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I mean, I've never tasted a smallmouth, but I, I'm here, I, you know, I hear these guys tell me, they're like, oh, they're better than walleye. And you all oh. hear walleye are great tasting fish, but I've never, you know, I never really understood why they would want to catch each so much of one species of fish or even that fish. I mean, I want a hamburger, you know, <laughs> I don't want to eat fish every day. Seriously. How much can you eat, dude? Right. And, and these guys were just, I mean, they were just killing the lake. That's that a- stinks. It, so at this point, dude, um, and I know you're doing a lot of guiding, Dan. Are you are you still doing the guide service, and and do you have plans to do it this fall and winter? Dude, I haven't got I haven't I haven't done a guide trip in like a year and a half. So when my wife got pregnant, you know, I I was like, well, I probably need to spend a little bit more time in California now. So I I, I wasn't I wasn't desperate to guide. Like I had some I had some I had a savings account, so I was like, well she's pregnant. I'm going to stay home in California and help her out with the other kids while she's, you know, going through a cool. pregnancy. I don't want to, I don't want to wow. leave her, you know, in California by herself while she's pregnant and I'm up here just guiding. So I took some time off and then, you know, and then I, I won FLW. So I had a little money and then I win, you know, the California open. And so I had a little bit more money and I've just found myself like not gone back to guiding yet because I mean, to be honest, like I've done it for 15 years and I needed a break, you know, I was, I was, I was a little exhausted of guiding. So I haven't, I haven't started guiding again, but I have plans to, again, I will start guiding again this, this fall for sure. Nice, man. So in all your time, I mean, Havasu is like the premier party shenanigans lake that we have. Do any just ridiculous stories of like shenanigans you've seen jump out at you? I mean, I've only gone to Havasu one percent of the times that you have in your life, and I've seen some ridiculousness, man. Has it just been? I mean, like, what's it like on March guiding? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Like, I'll get I'll get old timers, you know what I mean, that are that they'll book me in like spring break weekend, you know what I mean, Perfect. and I'm on like, purpose. Hey, w- I'm like, what made you guys come down in the middle of spring break? You know what I mean? You should have waited after. They're like, no, we booked it on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Sightseeing tours, right? I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, can we fish in the channel? I mean, we can. I mean, I would rather not, but we can. He's like, oh, no, we want to fish in the channel. I'm like, all right. You know, so you end up hanging out in the channel all day and watching these old guys. Like, you know, they got their phones out and they're videoing and stuff. I got my the hand over my face like oh my god that's embarrassing idiot right now you know just a different type of meat angling that's all explain the channel to people that don't know about it yeah 
yeah, this is yeah. I, I'm not I'm not weird for sitting here, you know. Like it just just feels weird. But like you know, those old guys, they just they wanted the they wanted the experience of you know being on Havasu in the middle of spring break. And I mean, they, you would get the experience. You know, at some points you couldn't fish in there anymore, and they would be like, well, let's just idle. Let's just go back and forth. You know, you know how it is in the channel. Like it's just a two lane road basically, and you just go in the crowd and you get out in Thompson Bay and turn around and come back through, and they're just videoing and having a good old time and eventually i'd have to put a stop to it and be like dude we got to go somewhere else it's it's not happening anymore we're done for the day in here <laughs> new business opportunity you said you got a pontoon boat now i see where you could go if you're burned out on guiding dude just take the bimini down on your pontoon put six or eight old dudes in it and let her rip <laughs> think about like, the money like you can doing, make yeah. doing that yeah dude. Yeah, I told my wife one time that I was going to do, uh, like, wine cruises for uh, bachelorette parties. And she was like, no, you're not. Yeah, I could see her not being down with that. (laughs) Dude, maybe you could do, like, Keystone Light Cruises with old men through the channel from, like, March 1st to March 30th. Yeah, you could could advertise that for sure. (laughs) After they've got their limited smallmouth in the cooler, you guys can cruise, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, it gets a little crazy over there, and it's weird. Like, everybody thinks it starts, like, you know, early March, and it's weird because different states and different districts all have their spring break at a different time. So spring break lasts on Havasu from, like, March 1st to, like, April 30th. You know what I mean? It's like a two-month window of, like, spring break on Havasu because everybody's coming from different areas, and, uh, and it's, it's funny. You can always tell, like, the first state's, that have spring break are usually like back east states and they show up and it's like ghosts walking around they're like it's 65 degrees and it's so hot out you know and they got their shirts off and they're walking down the streets and they're just ghostly white you know and i'm like yep you're from you're from <laughs> louisiana or somewhere over there you know like you can pick them out yeah you haven't seen you haven't seen the sun in, in eight months <laughs> that's so funny man it's hilarious uh yeah I had one, one more question on Havasu, dude, before we let you go, because uh, I know it's Sunday. Uh, but, hey, uh, a lot of our northern listeners, dude, are blown away when they hear about the uh, sunfish in there. And you're probably sick of answering sunfish questions being from Havasu. But, like, have, have you ever gone out and targeted them? And, and did you do, do you, like, actually do guide trips where you go out and target these crazy red ear? So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing with those red ear. Yes. There's massive giant ones in the lake. I mean, there's fish up to and over six pounds. These, you know, these shell crackers, red ear sunfish. They're, they've got, you know, a, a few different names. Uh, and yes, I have targeted them and I have done guide trips for them, but they're really hard to target. Um, you have to, the only time I fish for them is like late, a- mid April to like June. And it's when they're up and spawning. And it's just like, fishing for bass for most of the day because you're on the trolling motor, you know, looking for them. You're sight fishing. So you have to cover a ton of water. And there's a few areas where they come up the same, you know, the same areas every year. But a lot of times they don't. They'll just randomly, like a whole school of them will pull into a pocket. And if there's a hard spot in the back of a cove, um, they'll spawn on it. But it's not the same. They won't spawn on it every year. It's just wherever randomly – a group of them ends up every year. So you could, you could find a hundred of them in the back of a cove one day, one year, and then you could catch a bunch of them and you could go down and you could look at the identical type of structure in the, in the same kind of coves with the same hard spots in the back. And you could, 
fish 50 more pockets and not find them. You know, it's like they're really tough to locate. But when you do locate them, it is a, it is a blast. I mean, because they're big and they fight good. And, you know, it's weird. Like the, the biggest ones that get caught on Havasu never get caught on the bed. They're always hmm. caught by bass fishermen. And they're always caught pre-spawn, like late February, early March, or mid-March, somewhere in there. But they're always caught by bass fishermen. Guys fishing for bass, these things are so big, they eat the same stuff that a bass does. You know, they eat full-size crawdads. And they eat all the stuff. Like, like the first world record they got caught on Havasu was caught on a seven-inch ribbon tail power worm by a guy wow. in a pontoon boat that was just fishing for bass. You know, so, and the next world record they got caught uh, was caught by a guy fishing, I think, a night crawler on the bottom, but he was fishing for bass. Um, all my biggest ones have been caught. You know, I, I catch them on like a tiny little swim bait, a uh, little small jig, uh, caught a big one on a Carolina rig. But the biggest one I've ever caught was like four and a half pounds, and it was caught on a dang hair jig. Four and a half pound sunfish, dude. I can't even imagine. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, I got it mounted. The, the, the guy that does all the mounts oh, was yeah. like, he just, he was like, I'll mount him for free. I just want you to send me that fish frozen so I can make a mold of it because nobody on the earth has molds of fish that are like four to five pounds. You know what I mean? Of Shaped like a sunfish. So, <laughs> yeah, he was like, just send me that fish. You know, he's like, I'll make you a mold of it. No problem. I just want that dang fish so I can make them, you know, I could have the only mold in the world. So I got a mount made of it and it's a pretty bitching fish. But, uh, I try not to guide for them. They're, you know, they're fun and all, but they're, I don't, they're, I can't promise a guy that I'm going to go out. They, they see these pictures and they're like, I want to, I get emails all the time. It's like, I want to catch okay. a five pound red ear. It's like, get in line. Well, you better move out here. Yeah. You better move out here and fish five days a week in the, in, in the, you know, pre-spawn because that's the only way you're going to get one. Um, it's, I can't, I can't guide you to get a five pound. Dude what and and i i what's your take like what's growing them so big man like why is that the mecca for colossal sunfish um i think that there's it's the perfect place for them to grow so havasu as you know out in the middle is at least in the bowl and in certain sections uh, uh, working your way down south is a clear-cut mesquite tree forest so um they've all been popped off uh, when they fill the lake up. So there's, there's sections that just have silty bottom, flat, silty bottom with just like acres, you know, or an acre full of old trees that are 20 feet tall. And during the, during the rest of the year, you know, the years, uh, the times of the year where they're not up on the bank, they live out there and nobody can target them. They're uncatchable because you could go out there and Josh could probably figure out how to catch them, but I can't. Nope. Uh, you go out there and you can, you can side scan, you could use your pan optics and you're going to see fish on every tree, but there there's billions and billions of carp gizzard, billions of gizzard shad and billions of small stripers that live out in those trees as well as those red ear sunfish. Uh-huh. So to find the one tree out of the 4 million, that the school is hanging out on, you know what I mean, is next to impossible. Yeah, real high opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you could you could go out there and like I have spent ages out there just side scanning, and it's like, oh man, this tree right here is loaded with what I think is red ear. 
and I'll go out there and fish and don't catch nothing. And then I'll pull out like a, like a little cast master or something. And I start catching fish and they're all, you know, one pound stripers. I'm like, well, there goes that theory that they were red ears. Mm-hmm. That's so, interesting. But, then dude. One, but one guy will pull up out there and, and, you know, not know what he's doing and drift over the right tree and catch a couple and then be like, Oh, I caught, I caught two big red here today in December <laughs> out in the middle of the trees. It's like, we'll do that twice. Yeah. Not gonna happen. <laughs> That's quite the challenge, man. It all looks the same yeah. out there. I know exactly what you're talking about and they'll follow your bait up and down and, and they'll drive you nuts, dude, but it's hard not to fish for them because you see them. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, and there's, there's some big bass that live out there on those trees. I mean, you know, guys like Shura and stuff, you know, they spend their, there are whole days of practice out there fishing these tr- trees with a drop shot. And, you know, the bass are a lot easier to target because you can fish those trees quick, you know what I mean, with a drop shot. You can meter up and down on them, see one drop on it, either catch it and break it off, catch it and land it and keep moving. But um, the, the readier thing out there is, like, mind-boggling to me because they're either in massive schools or they're so spread out that you can't target them. I, I haven't come to the realization of which – what happens out there for the red deer part of it you know like they could be there could be so many trees that they could not be schooled up so that could be too you can't tar- you can't target them you know what i mean you may drop on one and get lucky with a night crawler and catch it but there's not a hundred more with them you know they might they may only group up in like early spring where they congregate to like deep rocky points to start pre-spawn you know mm-hmm. that may be the only time they, they group up i don't know mm. That's crazy, man. What a cool deal. Yeah, thanks yeah, for so shedding some light on that, much. dude. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I get a lot of guys who, who want to come fish them, like, you know, in in December and January and February and stuff. And it's like, you know, like, I, 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 can't, I can't catch them. I, I, I have to turn you down because I, I can't catch them that time of year. I can only catch them when I, when I can see them up on the banks. That's the only mm-hmm. time I catch them. Interesting. Right on. Well, hey, dude. Uh, this has been one of the coolest interviews we've ever done. You've had a lot of awesome info. Um, if anyone does want to hire you as a guide when you start back up, man, or, or uh, just follow you in, in general, how can they uh, find you and get a hold of you? Uh, I've got a. I'll turn my Facebook business page back on because uh, right now I turned it off because I, I usually turn down about ten trips a day. For some reason, I'm. Havasu is weird. You have it's a federal waterway, so you have to have a captain's license to guide on it. So there's only like two guides on the whole lake. Um, it's just like you know Tennessee River or anything like that where you need a, a captain's license to guide. It's not just like a lake guide license. So I ended up turning the Facebook page off, but I'll turn it back on here in a couple of weeks. You can find me on Facebook. It'll be under. You can find me on my personal page, which is Sean Bailey, or my guide page is Sean Bailey's Guide Service. Sweet cool, man. man, S-H-A-U-N, right? Yep, S-H-A-U-N. Sweet. B-A-I-L-E-Y. Cool, man. Cool, we well, get tons of groupies after this. That's kind of what we're known for. All 37 <laughs> listeners out there, we're just like the groupie farm. Be like a school of groupies <laughs> all over your night crawler. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, well, well hey. Uh, this year, too, man. It was fun watching you up there on the Northern Lakes. You guys killed them. Thank you, dude. You guys did a good job. Thank you, dude. It, uh, it's fun fishing like that, man. And, uh, you know, even though it's so different than fishing out here, it's, it's so similar. Like if you, if you went up and fished a tournament on any of those bodies of water, I, I know you would do really well, dude, just because you're just trained to fish like that. It's just, there's so many similarities, um, in, in the style of fishing you do, but, um, are you ready for the open, man? I am, man. I mean, I'm as ready as I can be. So I've had that old, my old boat 
for years and I don't know if you heard like so it's kind of hindered me the last couple of years like I don't want to run far at Mead I don't want to run far anywhere with that older boat and then last year I finally like got enough balls to like I'm gonna run far and then I blew the, and then the motor caught on fire last year I don't know if you heard about that yeah oh every tournament it's broken on you in the last couple of years I feel for you dude yeah yeah so it was like it's time you know so I won the Cal Open and I sold that bass cat and then I ended up selling my skeeter so I'm in a brand new boat again. So at least I feel like now I could breathe. You know what I mean? Like I can go somewhere and not have to worry about it. So I'm excited to just like go up back up there and fish it like how I used to fish it. Cause uh, that place is, kills me lately. And uh, you know, I've got one of those like weird vendettas with that place. You know, I've got second in the open twice mm. and I've, I've let it for two days. And then Justin beat me on the final day and I end up getting fourth and Aaron beat me the other two times when I got second. So, like, I feel like some years I have a chance, but, like, I can't quit on the place. Like, I feel like I, I need to fish it until I win it, and then maybe I'll never fish it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll drive away with your middle finger up at Lake yeah. Mead. I finally got you. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. Holding a trophy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it owes me, too, because I, I actually ejected myself out of a bass boat there doing 70, like, when I was Jeez. younger. And I almost died there. And so, like, I feel like it owes me a little something-something back in return. So I'm going to keep fishing that thing until I win it. And then I might not ever fish there again in my life. <laughs> Mead does have that bloodthirsty feel to it for sure. Yeah, I'm excited though. I'm excited to be able to cruise around and not have, is my motor going to catch on fire in the back of my head again, you know? That's great. <laughs> well, dude, yeah, congrats on the new boat. And uh, yeah, now uh, I've actually, uh, it's making me a little nervous, dude. You're going to be extra dangerous this year. So uh, that's uh, I, good. I, I don't know about that. I'm going to be extra, I'm going to be driving extra calm at least, but I know that. <laughs> nice. Right on. Well, hey, dude, we'll let you get to it, but uh, thanks again so much for coming on, and uh, I'll, I'll see you in a couple weeks. All right, we'll see you up there. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank Have you, buddy. Day. See it. Man, that was an awesome interview with Sean. Uh, thanks so much to him for coming on. And as always, huge thanks for the listeners for tuning in. I uh, hope you all have a great week ahead, and we'll chat again next Sunday. <laughs>